Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I think usually I'm, I'm pretty functional after I've had one or two cups of coffee. But oh my God. If anyone encounters you before you've had coffee, I think that most of the emotional damage I do to my son happens in like <laughs> the five minutes that we see each other before I have coffee. And I think he's going to be an adult and he's going to be like, I was told I was loved. My parents were always around. I was cared for. And I don't understand where all this shit comes from. And if we ever see that manifesting in adulthood, I'm going to have to be like, I think I was a terrible, terrible, cruel bitch to you. And it was only ever for like seven minutes every day. But that kid's <laughs> vision of his mother getting up is me being like, what? I don't know. I don't know. It's really bad. I'm going to try and work on that. Why don't you start sleeping with a thermos flask of coffee next to the bed? Oh, I would genuinely do that. Then you could take a few sips on waking. Uh-huh. And then I could be like, hey, sweetie. Do you want to tell them about our guest? Well, today we're talking to our Nepo friendy, Nish Kumar. And he's on the podcast because he wants to talk about his new special, which is available on Sky now. It's called Your Power, Your Control. And if you've been with us for a few weeks now, you may have heard us talking about it. Because your your name is in the credits, spelled incorrectly. Fucking dick. And it's because, as I said, I he we talked to him about this today. I was like, I know I'm not your favorite tour support. I know I'm not like even in the running with the other two. I'm not fun enough for you to be around. And he wouldn't, because of his niceness, he wouldn't fully admit. But but nor did he fully deny. It wasn't a full-throated denial. When no. Said- so we confront him directly. We talk about the stand-up special which was really interesting. I've, I've always really enjoyed him talking about stand-up. I find it very, sorry to use this word, inspiring. Uh, that's douchebaggy of me to say. You don't love it. You, you think I embarrassed myself. I can see it in your eyes. This is a little, little pretentious. I'm embarrassed. So that's going to be our guest later. Our friend, Nish Kumar. Okay, I have been on such a journey this week with this. My friend, she goes, you've got to watch The Deepest Breath. It's a documentary on Netflix. She was so emphatic. And I do have a sense that the world is going to be water. Like somehow in the world of my octopus teacher, remember that? Do you think there was anybody who watched it who didn't think that that man also had some footage of him and that octopus that is for his own enjoyment? No, 
I didn't think that he ever did anything sexual. I thought it was like a platonic friendship only. And I think that the what I will say in defense of people who are into bestiality is that I do think they pick hot animals. <laughs> like there is some rhyme or reason to it. It's not an octopus. It's a dolphin. And I get that because an octopus is fascinating but terrifying. They have beaks. Can I just say in criticism of people who fuck animals? Yeah. It's, it's never consensual. No, but I don't think th- that we should ever, ever judge those people because they're having a very hard time. But do you know who's having a worse time? The animal. Yes. Okay, so I get home that night. I say, hey, do you want to watch this thing? We realize instantly that it's a documentary about free diving. It's athletes who dive very deep into the ocean and then come back up. But it's not just about... The fact that you have to like hold your breath for two minutes. It's about the fact that when you get as deep into the ocean as they do, your lungs start to compress and bleed. And then you go through all this crazy shit. Now, I have a thing. I don't like watching people hold their breath. I hate all breath holding. You don't like that Radiohead video where Tom <gasps> oh! holds, his, holds his breath. Yes, I can't watch that video. Mm. And so instantly I'm like, oh, that was so stupid of me to not know what this is the opening shot is this you watch a diver who becomes the protagonist of the story this woman named alessia you watch her dive so far down that it's like black and then you see her come back up and it's sort of like she's a mermaid and as she's getting towards the top of this rope that they used to go down and come back up you see just as she's reaching the top her hands let go and then you see like the safety divers who are with her to get her body and lift her up because she's blacked out which happens to people all the time. I have never watched someone do that before. It was so disturbing. So we decide to jump ship. Because I have no appetite at all for anything where people are pushing their body to its limits. Yes, although I'll tell you right now, I, the next day, decided to recommit in daylight. And then I did some Amazon orders as well while I was watching. And I found that the combined thing made the experience more manageable. And this documentary filmmaker tells the story of these two freedivers so beautifully. But my God, it was disgusting. Do you think part of the reason you stuck with it is you felt an affinity because you're an occasional open water swimmer? I do my bit of open water swimming. And my advice to Alicia is float atop the water and forget about this deep dive shit. (laughs) There's going to be some other way that she can get her adrenaline hit. I find it so mystifying that people will hold their breath to get whatever that thrill is. You know, when people with some regularity die masturbating because they've choked themselves at the same time. I I don't know what it feels like to have the pleasure of an orgasm whilst deprived of oxygen, but I'd rather just do it the traditional way and not risk death. Traditional airflow open. Do you want to like experiment one time with I could hold your nose shut while you ejaculate? I do not. What if I put my hand over your mouth while you ejaculated? I'm fine as I am. Nipple clamps. Fine as I am. That's what I'm saying. It's like if you want to do something wild, like go nipple clamps or a butt plug. Like <laughs> why why with the auto asphyxiation stuff? And you're not thinking about how your loved ones are gonna find you. I think it's a very selfish sport. I wanna say that as well. Do you, like because do you consider masturbation a sport. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought we were back on free diving. Oh, no. <laughs> um, anyway, I guess watch it. Okay. Now, you've been criticizing me for not following up on recommendations that listeners have emailed in. Yes. So to please you, and because I take that criticism on board, mm. but mainly to please you, mm. I had a look at one of the suggestions that came in. Personal growth. You're allowing yourself to be told what to do. And it's called The Orchestra. 
It is a Danish comedy, but they, they describe it as a tragedy comedy. Uh-huh. So there's some drama to it as well. It was the idea of the fellow who created Borgen. Yes, the political Danish drama the, the starring Danish, that lady. Yes, the Danish West Wing. So it's his idea. He isn't credited as the creator, but he is a writer on all the episodes and an executive producer, so I'm not, not quite sure what his involvement is. But I liked it. Okay. I think part of the reason I liked it was the, the main character, whose name is Bo, and he is mostly awful. It's, it's not that he looks like me, but he would he would go to the same box as me. He'd be in the band with you. Yes. So he's, he's sort of roundish. He's got a mop of hair, a beard, glasses, and wears a lot of knitwear in autumnal colours. I'm going to look this guy up. Yeah. I mean, that guy is definitely in a band with you. Yeah. He is the second clarinetist in the orchestra. He thinks he's a genius and he should be the first. Oh, man. But his whole personality is working against him getting what he wants because he just irritates and annoys people on a very deep level. Were you seeing yourself? I don't think you annoy people on a very deep level. I don't know, but I don't know if I want to know. Um, Do you think that all orchestral musicians hate the conductor? Because think about what any musician in the orchestra, think about what they're doing compared to what the conductor is doing. Uh huh. And think about who gets all the focus on them. <laughs> and I'm not saying that a vast amount of the training and music theory and, and probably instruments doesn't go into being the conductor, but think about what the audience gets from a conductor versus anybody else in that orchestra and then think about the difference yes. in what they're doing. I mean, I don't know, but I think it's like maybe very hard to find a conductor who's a nice person. And the way that those people are put on a pedestal. I mean, literally. literally um, you, you you have to be very well adjusted for that not to make you cuckoo pants. Make you behave, behave like a dick. And yet, interestingly, don't you think that being a conductor is one of the jobs that many of us think we could do? Here's what I think on this. If you're a musician at a standard where you can play in an orchestra, you can keep time, Right. Okay. And what you're playing is on a piece of paper in front of you, including <laughs> instructions on which bits should be played with, with what dynamics, loud, soft, whatever. Now, I do understand that the conductor is, is making it cohese, but if you took him away and said, you will each get a million pounds if you play this as if there was a conductor there. I'm not sure how different the finished product would be. That would be so interesting to see. Like, if the first violin or something went like a five, six, seven. Yes, yeah, yeah. And then just see where they got to. Yes. Here's the negative, and I enjoyed it much more than I disliked it. I I think it has perhaps got a bit of that kind of comedy drama niceness to it, where you're going to end up feeling some emotion that you don't want to feel whilst watching a comedy. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it kind of wades a little bit into sexual politics. And it, it it tries to navigate that with nuance in a way that I'm not entirely sure that it gets right. That sounds like a problem. I suppose the upshot here is, did it make you feel like you could be a leading man? Yes, I suppose. But he's, he's unlikable and a figure of ridicule. You're not really a figure of ridicule, are you? We don't know. Well, have you ever felt more sympathetic to a TV character who perhaps isn't very likeable just because they look a bit like you or or have other traits in common with you or remind you of your dad? Also, what about other worlds that are begging for a TV show? Like the world of the orchestra felt so Mm -hmm. ripe for it. Yeah. Have you ever thought, why haven't they yet set a drama in Environment X? Yeah. Or like Town X. Like, I'd like to get to go to like Louisiana more often. Yes, you have quite a strong response 
to the setting of a show. I think part of the reason that you love Breaking Bad so much was being in New Mexico. Yeah, I love that area. Put me there. Put me in the deep south. Put me in the Pacific Northwest. Or conversely, are there <laughs> any environments that you think, I'm, I'm not watching a TV show if it's set in Belgium? I'm sorry. That's my bottom line. Do you know, and I have a lot of affection for my adopted nation, but... <sighs> Where is This Is England set? Like the Midlands? It's like Derby, Nottingham, I think, yeah. So I understand that's like one of the greatest pieces of TV ever made. But I'm not like excited to be in the Midlands. But it just so happens that everywhere <laughs> that you're interested in watching television from is, is in the United States. Yes, but here's why I think that is. I think it's because growing up, I would be like, wow, what if I lived in Colorado? Wow, what if I lived in Los Angeles? But I never thought like, God, you know what I would love is a Birmingham chapter. I like Birmingham. I just didn't grow up fantasizing that I might live there. If you want to send uh, Sarah hate mail about that, then I'll, I'll give you the email address in a second. Um, oh, also, as per your deepest breath experience, has a recommendation ever made you question a friendship? <laughs> <laughs> Which I know isn't what happened to you, but... but. Has that ever happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's maybe, more... maybe in a dating context. And of course, your recommendations. I have just proven that I am happy to take a recommendation. We're on board. We're going to really be following you guys as more. So the email address is? Fuck off at firecrotchandnormcore.com. Oh, I wanted to let you know that the extended version of the interview with two Kates from Deadlock, Kate McLennan and Kate McCartney, is now on Patreon. And, and they were just so funny. We had chemistry with them. I'll say it. You think it was chemistry? Yeah. I think, I, I think they would be that funny with, with anybody. I just loved getting to spend an hour in their company. And you will have heard some of that 17, 18 minutes on the podcast last week. You can hear the rest of it now on our Patreon, as well as all our interviews with uh, creators and writers and showrunners that we've done so far. You love them so much. You have a little crush. To hear that, go to patreon.com stroke they like to watch. And our guest this week is Nish Kumar. Sweetie pants, incorrect speller of names, tolerator of me as travel companion. Also, away from his ability as a comedian, he has this encyclopedic knowledge of stand-up. And just to get to listen to him talk about what makes a good stand-up special mm -hmm. versus a bad one, well, all this stuff that you don't think about because... Hold on. But you you liked it because it's all the stuff that you're always saying. <laughs> it wasn't... So you basically it, say he, he said a lot of things that I already think. He validated your opinions yes, and yeah. that's what you found so yes, pleasurable yes, about that. Yes, this is true. Yes. He also refers to all this stuff that I've never seen. Yes, And you he just consumes, realize that he's like this sponge. Yeah, he consumes so much. You were inspired too, Jeff, admit it. To watch more TV. <laughs> Nish Kumar coming up later. All right, one of Apple TV Plus's flagship shows came back last week for a third season, The Morning Show. And we enjoyed the first series of this, the first season of this. Yes, but I'm trying... Do you remember when the first season came out? I'd, I'd ballpark it at 2019, but maybe it was a bit earlier Yes, no, I think it was pre-COVID. I guess if you're interested in TV, you probably know what it is. Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon. Jennifer Aniston plays a very famous morning TV host, very established, been doing it for decades, whose co-host, played by Steve Carell, is fired when it turns out he's a serial sexual abuser. So it's in the wake of Me Too, this show. And she gets a new co-host brought in, played by Reese Witherspoon, who is from the South. 
she is a, a diamond in the rough, uh, but she is brimming with journalistic integrity. She will do anything to get to the truth and report on injustice. And, and this may come as a surprise, but at first they, they rub up against each other in a, in a way that isn't great. But eventually Jennifer Aniston sees something of her young self in this scrappy young journalist. They unite and they, they bring down the institutional problems that covered up the abuse in the first place. That's the first series. And we enjoyed it. But but when I now think about the fact that we enjoyed it, mm. it's like looking back on someone you used to date and be like, what the fuck was going on with no, me? I'll, t- I'll tell you what was going on. It, it never felt like you were watching The Wire, but it was these very famous women doing something that was very kind of watchable, if not a bit throwaway, telling a story that felt like... Current at the time. Yeah, it felt current. And that was told over a series. And I think it is the perfect example of a show that didn't need any more seasons. Yes. Okay. So it was sort of in the wake of the Me Too movement... And it was fun. There was and it was like Jennifer Aniston is going to be starring in something again. And, and that and, felt and, a little interesting. they like making it in some way. They're producing it. It felt like these women were at the heart of it in this way. And it just felt very watchable. It came back for a second season after COVID. And we bailed almost instantly because it got into COVID in such a heavy handed way. Do you remember? It was all like... Uh, Hey, in the editorial meetings, hey, uh, I think some people are getting sick on China. Maybe we should be reporting this. No, that's not a story anyone's ever going to be interested in. Cut to... <coughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's what it was. There was a cut to a cough and we were both like, this can't be yeah, real. Yeah, and, and so we bailed on it. And I think we both thought, well, let's give this third series a go. Maybe it's got COVID out of its system. But it is dog shit. It is absolute dog shit. I would recommend every other thing we've watched over this. If you want shorthand for how bad it is, mm-hmm. let me tell you what the first two episodes are about. Mm-hmm. Episode one, they go to space. <laughs> Episode two, they, they are the victims of the worst cyber attack in history, including the attackers being able to operate the light switches in the building and, and the door locks. It And in the moment when they're in space, like if, if, you don't even need to know why they're in space, but Reese Witherspoon <laughs> goes to space and it's like a little bit nerve wracking and a little bit scary, but then it's beautiful. And in the moment that it's beautiful, this is what starts playing. Yeah, yeah, people, people know it from the British uh, Airways advert. It's what plays when you're boarding on a BA and I was flight. Like, I'm it's sorry. It's the flower duet. Are they playing, are they doing the flower duet while we watch Reese Witherspoon, like, get moved by the sight of the blue planet down beneath? And then in the second episode, they use an, another incredibly famous piece of classical music, but played on the piano. You know, Bach's cello concerto. No. It's, but I would know it if I heard that, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and I just think if you're going to use those really famous pieces of music, you better use it with elegance. I mean, I'm fully expecting Beethoven's Fifth Symphony next week. I was thinking something like with Pachelbel's Canon. Yeah. It was so bad. It's It's laughably bad. But not quite fun enough to be laughably bad. And I've always sort of liked Jennifer Aniston and I've always sort of disliked Reese Witherspoon. I would say you liked Jennifer Aniston to the extent that you were, you're quite obsessed by her. I've gone through phases where I've spent <laughs> a lot of time thinking about her, um, yeah, her personal life. You, you, were, you were convinced that Brad Pitt was the only true one for her. Well, she's got relationship. I mean, as do plenty of men, but I'm just saying she picked a man who betrayed her. Do you ever think that you perhaps claim a level of insight 
based on information that's been accessed through tabloid stories and gossip magazines. Do, do, do you ever think that that actually you're just seeing a tiny sliver of information rather than the whole that would perhaps be better for forming these judgments? No. <laughs> I think that what I get to see are tips of icebergs, and then I decide that I know what the rest of the iceberg looks like. Mm. And do you think it's possible that you have no idea what the rest of the iceberg looks like? It's possible, but not likely. <laughs> I'm not saying she like has a terrible life. No. But I'm saying we all have our pain. We all have our successes and our things that feel like regrets. And I think she has hers, and I think love is one of them. And John Hamm is slumming it in the show. What the fuck? <laughs> John, it feels like a real violation. And John Hamm isn't the only new famous face that pops up. No. So, so I saw Stephen Fry in there, who might have been in series two, but we, we bailed. Um, Tignataro. Tignataro and Esther Perel. What these people are thinking. Is it that they get to hang out with the cool kids? Because Dave Grohl was in, I think, the first season. Yeah, what are and they it, thinking? He, he, he can't resist a cameo. He, he loves a cameo. Oh, Dave Grohl loves a yeah, cameo? I think he's always cropping up in stuff. Okay, so what is going... You know, Esther Perel should do a spin-off podcast series about what the fuck is going on with her emotionally <laughs> that she would associate with herself with such a piece of shit TV. Because she appears as herself on the show and I don't want to see Esther Perel interacting with a fictional character. No, exactly that. I, I question everything she says. The fame has gone to her head. She's a lunatic. Don't let her advise you. <laughs> oh, this was good. So they dropped the first two episodes and we watch one together mm-hmm. and we watch one separately. Yes. And it, it turned out that we had both jotted down the same terrible line possibly the, the the worst bit of scripted dialogue to ever come out of a television set and it came out of the mouth of billy crudup who he, he plays the network executive and i want to say it's a quite like the character in the first season but now it just grates on me because he's a network executive but he's not the stereotype of a money man who doesn't understand creatives it's worse than that he, he is enigmatic is he a cost cutter is he a visionary or is he just out for himself? And I just find it so tiresome to watch an enigma. <laughs> I don't want to see an enigma. Yeah, I hate an enigma. Yeah. There's like a sort of whimsical quality to Whimsy. him where he oh. feels like slightly removed from any crisis. Is he enjoying it? Is he stressed by it? He's kind of lives in a slightly different intellectual world than the rest of us. Um, um, so, so do you want to give us this terrible line? I like my nose. I've got no desire to spite my face. Have you ever heard anything like that in your life? No. I like my nose. I've got no desire to spite my face. It is like there's a 21-year-old who wants to be a screenwriter who has no business doing it and will never get any better. And that is like a diary entry that they would make or something like or it maybe even like a tween. Like maybe that's something that like a 12 year old would write. It does. And I don't want to single out the writer, though, because think about how many people have to see that line before it ends up on a screen. Yes. And each one of those people are as guilty as the writer, if not, know, if not more so. Billy Crudup isn't a piece of shit. Like he's been in some good stuff. And I'm thinking, what does he think of that line? Like, as an actor, you're not going, this is crazy. Can we have it one more time? I like my nose. 
I've got no desire to spite my face. Do you have anything to add on the morning show? I mean, I can't imagine that anybody's going to be able to offer a full-throated defence. Have we hurt you? Like, does it make you feel hurt to feel like you loved it while we're sat here talking about what an irredeemable piece of shit it is? Do you know someone who works on it and you want to be like, Sarah, Jeff, these people are real people too. No, they're not. I feel there should be the equivalent of the Nuremberg Trials, but for everyone who was involved in that line about the nose and the face. Oh, yeah. Like you could just sort of talk to Billy. Billy Crudup. Anyway, do you disagree with us? That'd be very interesting to me. The email address is... Fuck off. At firecratchandnormcore.com. And coming up next, talking about his stand-up special, which you can see on Sky. It's called Your Power, Your Control. You know, one thing I really like about him is he doesn't call these stand-up specials things like niche out of water. He's never done that. Thank God. I can't with a pun. The only puns I've ever thought, okay, have been Joe Lysett. Yes. I'm saying that to like suck his dick a little bit, but I also, something about his puns have always felt like they had a little twinkle in the eye. Yes. And he spells my name correctly, but it's not a big deal. When you niche upon a star. Oh, can you imagine? <laughs> Nish Kumar coming up next. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Nish, Nish, let me ask you a question. Yes. How do you spell Baron, as in Sarah Baron? <laughs> B-A-R-O-N. Yeah, that's that's what it says on that's the what it uh, says credits on, of, the your, credits stand-up of your stand-up special. Oh, my God. I know. Is it misspelled? It's misspelled, Nish. It was going to be my only time. And a big reveal, what I said last week, is I was like, <laughs> the only fucking time I'm ever going to get credited, and he didn't even spell my name right. Then one of our listeners messaged in and says, you know who did spell your name right? Joe Lysett, who is the only Fucking other person no. I have ever done tour support for. <laughs> but I think it's okay 
Do you know how my first name is spelled? S-A-R-A. Yeah, that's okay. I think that's the more significant part I mean, of the name. You're setting a low bar there, that if, if, if he spells one that, of your two you names You know what? Correctly. That is incredible that I didn't even check that. But it well, wasn't, because we, we were speculating, it wasn't a hostile act. No, it wasn't a hostile act. Because Jeff was saying that I, I think that I'm like... Well-liked. No, I didn't say that I was well-liked. <laughs> I was saying that I... I don't think you'd have me do tour support for you if you didn't find me an acceptable person to be around. Definitely not. Is it is a tour support to some extent there to be a buddy? The tour support, it's largely dependent on the comedian, I think. So for some people, the tour support is literally just there to fill some time. Because I think once you're doing stand-up in theatres, you have to give the audience two hours. But the main reason I have a tour support more than anything else is I don't think it's a good thing for me to be left to my own devices for that amount of time. And I'm sort of aware it's a character defect and I do pay a lot of money for therapy. And we're working towards a a place where I could maybe sit on my own and not do anything. And my immediate first thought shouldn't be... You are worthless. Like, I, that's all, that's all, like, when people say, you're like, oh, I'm just very comfortable in my own company, I'm like, that's the one person I don't want to be left alone with. That's the, that's the nightmare, the nightmare scenario for me is me time. So that, the main reason the tour support is there is for me to have a friend, but also the whole evening's comedy is your responsibility. So I would only get people that I, A, wanted to spend time with and B, whose act I could defend. And, and how often does that come up that you have to defend it? <laughs> well, that's actually, I'll tell you what that's coming from. That's coming from me having done tour support for Milton Jones and oh, feeling yes. one out of three nights like he would have had to defend that. <laughs> In an angry email exchange. So me and James Acaster have both done it. And it can be a bit of a mixed bag. His audience love him so much that they want just to see him. There's two great stories. One is James's. When he was tour support for Milton, his dad called him up and said, someone has altered your Wikipedia page. Obviously, we don't even have time to go into why his dad was so across James's Wikipedia page <laughs> that he was able to immediately spot an alteration. And both of these things happened after we'd had good gigs supporting Milton and I can't remember where it was let's say Peterborough but someone had altered James's page to say after his disgraceful performance opening for Milton Jones (laughs) at Peterborough Acaster was confronted by an audience member and cried (laughs) (laughs) and my one was when I was opening for Milton in Wimbledon and through the course of my support slot someone had been tweeting him saying Nish is really killing the vibe can you get Nish off stage just tweet after tweet and then in the last tweet he sent Milton, in block capitals, make Nish stop. <laughs> <laughs> and that became the kind of unofficial motto of the tour. <laughs> make Nish stop. You could have sold merch. Yeah, we should have done. Do you know how many, how aware are you of which of like friends and family have watched your special so far? Because most of them will have probably seen it in person. So who's making the extra effort to then watch the video I don't version? Know how many people... I've no idea. I think my parents have watched it a few times. How but... much? How much does it matter to you? Because Sarah, Sarah won't allow. In fact, the only time any member of Sarah's family has seen her do stand up was supporting you at the Hackney Empire when your dad came along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at first, you you told him that he had to stay outside in the bar during your set and was only allowed in for for niches. So <laughs> so you don't like it at all. No. Yeah. What's your relationship like with that? Well, I didn't let my parents see me do stand-up for a long, long time. I find it deeply stressful. 
Yes. And the feeling is mutual. It's a family of anxiety disorders. <laughs> Brackets, some diagnosed, some undiagnosed. <laughs> and so everybody finds it stressful. And my mum actually comes twice because she says, the first time I can hear nothing but the sound of my own anxiety. And so, <laughs> and she's like, and then I come the second time. And it- Why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Enjoy it. How easy do you find it to share good news with them? Because one thing I will say about Sarah and her parents, if, if something good happens for you, you'll call your parents and say, hey, guess what? Whereas I just could not imagine <laughs> doing that with my dad. <laughs> I I think that I've sort of crossed a line now where I no longer feel like I have to immediately tell them good news so that they don't worry about my career. <laughs> so I think it's now, nice. it's nicer now where we can share good news because I think it's a nice thing to do rather than like I'm under cross-examination and I'm assembling a case for the defence, <laughs> which is what it felt like for the first 10 years. And how many of these full shows, these touring shows, how many of those have you committed to video at this point? There is a sort of lumping together of my first four Edinburgh shows that's available on Amazon Prime that I did for the Soho Theatre. And then there's a kind of lumping together of some more material that's available as a half hour on Netflix that's like Comedians of the World. Right. Which I... Of which you are one. I'm one of many, which I fucking hate. (gasps) Why? Uh, I I just didn't do a very good job. I didn't choose the right material and I didn't organise the set well enough. And then the ones that I have like proactively released myself, there are two audio recordings of the show that I recorded in 2016 and then 2019. And then this one is the first one that I filmed and put out as its own thing. Because uh, there's, there's a lot less to get wrong in audio in a certain way. So with, with the videos, ones you've done in the past, what didn't you want to do again or or, or what irks you about recorded stand-up? I think the problem with it is, I think, A, this is the first one that I was involved in, like, all of the decision-making processes of. So talk talk to us about those decisions then. Well, you pick where you film it, and then I also have a lot of strong opinions about how stand-up should be filmed. Because being a fan of stand-up in the late 90s and early 2000s was through Chris Rock stand-up specials, the old Richard Pryor specials. So the first relationship I have with stand-up comedy is filmed stand-up shows. Just, I, I tell you what I hate, and you don't do any of this, so I feel comfortable saying it. Audience cutaways, where you just see a close-up of two or three people laughing, and you it's always cut like, these are the sort of people who enjoy this comedy. Why, at what point in a stand-up gig, if you're sat in the room, because the idea of filming live performance, you're trying to simulate the experience of being in the room. 
broadly. At what point when you're watching a gig do you run up to a stranger, get your face three inches from their <laughs> face and stare at them to see if they're enjoying it? It, it's, it completely takes me out of it. Yeah. I fucking hate it. Yes. I don't know how it's crept into the vocabulary also, of good, film Also, good comedians get an audience to cohese and behave as, as one. Totally. Not, not as a bunch of couples or yeah. gangs of friends laughing. At most, you look left and right to the people you've come with. You, at, that's at most. The, the other thing is I think you want a sense of the room. But you want the sense of what the audience looks like. I don't think you want to completely cut that out. Stuart Laws and Al Clayton, who run Turtle Canyon, who filmed the show, we literally called it the Richard Pryor shot. There is a camera position which is behind me that is exactly where it is in live and concert. Right. And so you can get a sense of the room and what the room looks like without having the camera shoved in individual people's faces. So there are just like, I have a lot of opinions about the way stand-up should be filmed. I also have a lot of opinions about my material and I've come to the wider conclusion that I have no interest in being associated with any of my material before about 2016. <laughs> But you're, but you're, and that's just, you know, that's just and being you started a in 2006. Yeah. I like this. It's like that, that sort of first decade. Yeah, it took me 10 years. Doesn't count. Yeah, it, it's, it counts, just not in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say Turtle Canyon hadn't been available. Who's the director that you would have? Unlimited budget, though. Unlimited um, budget. So, so up to and including, say, Bo Burnham. Yeah, I mean, Bo Burnham. Yeah. Because I think Bo Burnham has directed Tambourine, which is the Chris Rock Netflix special, which I think is super interesting because he stripped away, again, visual choices. There's a trope in British stand-up comedy where they, it's just throw up six cameras and basically provide CCTV footage of a gig at the Hammersmith Apollo. <laughs> and that is just stand-up special after stand-up special after stand-up special. They all look the fucking same. They film them in the same room. I always just think, why not try something and make some choices? So Tambourine, I think, is amazing because it's a more personal and maybe a more vulnerable show than anything he did before that. So there's no suit. He's in a T-shirt and jeans. He looks kind of skinny. And also the thing with Chris Rock is he like prowls the stage and like, but they shot it in BAM, which is a way smaller venue than he normally shoots those specials in. And they took the wire away from the microphone so he can't whip the microphone behind him in the exact way that he does. And so he's moving in a different way. Um, So uh, yeah, I think if money was no object you'd get or the dream would be to get da pet now i'm really getting into the weeds to get da pennebacker to shoot here who <laughs> shot all the dylan footage in the late 60s and shot Jimi hendrix performing at monterey um and yeah that or scorsese why not throw the whole <laughs> boat out just go why not throw just the whole boat out because scorsese is also great uh is a you know is uh, is good <laughs> <laughs> But I think people like him and Spike Lee understand cinema and photography and the use of the image almost on a molecular level. To be clear, this is only in the instance of your friend Stu not being available. No, always. We, we, we don't Stu, want to be Stu Laws and Al Clayton, yeah. number one choice. Yeah. When you know that you've got a filming coming up, whether it's something like this or if, when you do the MASH report, how vain do you get about it? I think you can see from the show, I've been to the barbers, the line of my beard you can see that I've had that shave that morning. And my hair is like relatively recently cut and everything else is a write-off. <laughs> my my agent was like, why didn't you have the suit fit you? 
The trousers don't fit properly. Also, I can't button the jacket because I'm too fat. And I think I would like to dress it up as being the result of a positive artistic decision. The truth is, I simply can't be bothered. But (laughs) I think I also, I quite like, when you're talking about like filming stand-up, it has to come for what serves the material best. And I don't think, and this is the sort of thing that I say that my mother's like, you think so much about ways to contrive excuses so that you don't have to look after your physical appearance. And like, I think in this specific instance, I think with the kind of comedian that I am, it would not make sense for me to look too slick. It should look like a university professor has walked into the wrong building. Like that. (laughs) And is now delivering a lecture that they're slightly underqualified for. And then also, you know, I could have got a darker shirt. There's a bit in the special where it has to be acknowledged that I'm sweating heavily from my breasts. (laughs) But that's something that happened, as you'll be able to attest to, in the live show. Like, it happened, it it would slowly... Neither one of us are dry people. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like... It was a wet car. Yeah, that was a damp car. car, The tour car post-show, it was a damp car. (laughs) That was humid. You have to respect Karis, the tour manager, for having to put up with two just, like, damp individuals. (laughs) But also, again, like, don't wear a suit. If you're a sweater on stage, don't wear a suit. But for some reason, it... But I also like... But are you going to wear a vest? Yeah, I don't... Yeah, I mean, that's the only thing that would be worse. And there is a story at the heart of this show, which is is something that happened to you. There's an element of trauma to it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And and yet the show itself, like, it is just joke, joke, joke. It's relentless. Did did nobody tell you that when you start getting into this type of show, you don't have to be funny anymore? (laughs) You you, you could have saved yourself so much work, like so many comedians do. I didn't want to have a sad bit in the show because I just thought... I don't know that I can quite pull that off. No, and... but you don't have to worry about that. But... <laughs> because pe- people just He's think... He's trying to a- answer it in a serious way. I don't think that there's anything worse than somebody missing the mark with a sad bit in a stand-up comedy show. I've, <laughs> oh I've sat and watched it happen. Like, one of the slight bugbears I have about Nanette is people almost are like, oh, man, it's this, like, explosion. And you're like, it's very controlled. Like, Gatsby knows it's so controlled... And it's so written and so prepared. And there's so much skill to doing it. I didn't feel like I was good enough to do a show like that. That is so, the first half is so joke-filled and then it kind of takes it away and then you're forced to kind of reflect on what the first half meant. And also, I liked the challenge of getting to a place where you could talk about all of these issues and make jokes about them, in, but in a way that wasn't undermining the seriousness of all of them. And again, it probably goes back to your formative influences, because when you look back at some of the, like, Chris Rock shows, when you look back at some of the prior shows, and you think about the things that he's talking about, killing my car is a horrendous story. And the, the skill of it is that it's just joke, 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 joke. But you still walk away from it going, fucking hell, like this, you, this guy's not okay. Talking to you, whether here or like any other situation, it's so obvious to me that you're like constantly consuming things. Yeah. And I genuinely don't understand the calendar of your output and everything that you seem to take in as well. A huge factor in this is the sheer absence of children. And I think that that frees you up a lot. But the other thing is I can't drive. And I spend a lot of time with my iPad on trains or reading books. And also, when you're doing stand-up a lot, and this is not something I really should be confessing on a television podcast, I have badly fallen behind television. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't keep pace with the sheer volume 
of TV shows. And like, I, I can't have four or five different shows on the go at once. So when the second series of The Bear came out, it was one of those things where you're like, I'm not watching anything else. If I know that there's more bear, I'm not going to watch your stupid fucking program. Well, your friend Jeff Lloyd might tell you that he felt to some extent that the bear was a stupid fucking program. Really? Mm-hmm. Here's what I thought. Mm-hmm. It's it's very good and very watchable. Yeah. But there, there was a void after succession that people felt the need to say, this this goes into this void. This right, is, right, this right. This is the next thing at that level. Yeah. And I think if you stop picking apart the dialogue and some of the choices and some of the acting it, it, it's not quite at that level but it but it very watchable i'm fascinated that you didn't like the bear cuz i love it okay so i i felt like what i noticed was really interesting is like if someone didn't like succession we all felt like you're not as smart as me sorry right, bye yeah, yeah, yeah. whereas the people who love the bear the people the other people like oh not into the bear feel like they're acting like they're smarter than you people feel like criticized i think also one of the reasons why people get defensive is because people have a hugely emotional attachment in a way that I think with succession, you can always slightly detach yourself. Even when you have an emotional connection with them, it's still about terrible people. Whereas I think with The Bear, it's more like a sitcom, I think, in terms of the way people love the individual characters. If someone doesn't like The Wire, I don't feel emotionally attacked by it. (laughs) But if someone doesn't like... 30 Rock. 30 Rock, Parks and Recreation, I feel emotionally attacked by it. If somebody said... I don't like Leslie Knope, I would be too upset. <laughs> I, I would simply be too... I'm too emotionally invested in those people and I think they're my friends. And I also think that that is a thing with the bear. You said that you're behind on TV at the moment. Yeah. Is there anything that you're watching that we should be watching? Well, the thing that I would say... Like, Jury Duty, I thought was great. Okay. I thought it was really, really funny. It's a sitcom that they've managed to incorporate a hidden camera element into it. So I thought that was really great. In terms of stuff that I've just started, I just watched the first episode of Dreaming Whilst Black, which is on iPlayer, um, and really liked it. I thought it was a really, really, just a really good first episode. Okay. Um, and looks great. And again, like, that's not often a given, especially for, like, comedy television in Britain, but looks great. Whatever they spent on it, all of that money is on screen. Nish Kumar, how are you feeling now? Is the whole misspelling thing behind you? Yes, the, because I addressed and I feel that Nish said sorry in a way that shows he understood what he did. So it's water under the bridge, you know me, never holding a grudge. And I feel like I've really cleansed. Did it feel good to confront him with it though? No, it didn't. I was never really that offended. Okay. <laughs> Revenge is a Nish best of gold. <laughs> Let's open up the inbox. Do you know what that was trying to convey? What? Like, I was in Pulp Fiction, and it's where they always like look into that briefcase, and it glows, and you never know. That's what I was trying to. Because to the listener, it would have just sounded like heavy breathing. I know that's because they didn't get the pantomime that went with it. Yeah, but you, did you not think it was good? Yeah, I did think it was good. Yeah, that was kind of good. All right, our first email today is from Amy Rushton. Amy writes, "Hello, you asked for more listener stories about what put the poison in, and one specific moment keeps popping into my traumatized brain." ER, Season 9, Episode 1, broadcast on Channel 4 in 2002, I'd be about 17. The episode is called Chaos Theory, but for anyone who watched it, it'll forever be the one where asshole but top surgeon... I think they're always like that. 
You, you've said this before. Well, I've had experience with surgeons because of all my injuries I get up to. You get injuries now when you're old, but I used to get them when I was like younger and wild. You, you say that like I'm having falls about the house. I've been in one bike accident. I know, but my God, the ramifications. <laughs> anyway, asshole butt top surgeon Dr. Romano's arm is accidentally amputated by a fucking helicopter blade. Jesus fucking Christ. It was amazingly shot, but just awful to watch. I have no idea if the scene has stood the test of time on a technical level, or even if it was shot in horrific slow-mo, as it always appears in my nightmares. But obviously, I'm never watching that scene again. I think I'm going to watch that, because I'm not squeamish about that stuff, and I'm very interested. Ever since then, whenever a helicopter appears on screen in any fictional telly or film, I start to get unnecessarily anxious, no matter the context. This added an additional layer of stress to succession as those fuckers are forever getting in and out of copters and made worse by the wealth consultant telling the cast that anyone growing up wealthy never thinks about ducking when exiting and entering helicopters. One of the details that everyone always loved about the wealth consultants on succession. Watch any helicopter scenes with Ken, Roman, Shiv, and Khan. Then compare with Logan and Willa who usually flinch or slightly bob down. They say, I noticed this because I am poisoned. Oh, I think we should do a succession rewatch just so we can look out for that then. I'd be up for it. Watching ER was so visceral that I was in shock for several minutes then had to go vomit in the bathroom. Sorry, Sarah. Whoa. Has the television show ever produced a physical response in you? Have you had explosive diarrhea after oh, seeing something on that's screen? that's interesting. Why don't people get explosive diarrhea more? Let's, let's find out. All right. Thank you, Ames. This comes from Mel Shorter, who says, Hi again, FC and NC. Not sure if this is a what put the poison in or a TV trope I hate. Years ago, I noticed how often you see people on TV brushing their teeth and now I can't unsee it. It is hmm. everywhere. It makes me feel oh. sick. It gives me explosive diarrhea. No, she didn't write that. No, Jeff no, but being, it'd be interesting, being. interesting if she did. Even worse, and also surprisingly common, is when characters talk whilst brushing their teeth, often to their partners who are in the same bathroom and who are also brushing their own fucking teeth. It seems like it's a go-to for stage business. What can these characters do while they're having this conversation? Ugh! In our house, we have set the challenge to go a week where we don't see teeth brushing on TV. It cannot be done. So says Mel Shorter. Mel, I don't want to trigger you here, girl, but is it is it watching the, the sort of foamy stuff and the moisture come down the chin? I'm fine with it, but I'm respectful of your little quirks. I appreciate the attention to detail. This next email comes from Imogen Wills. Hey, FNN. What put the poison in? The exorcism of Emily Rose absolutely freaked me the fuck out, and I've never recovered. I don't even know what that is. The reason I know what that is is because at the time, I had a boyfriend. (laughs) Thinking about him right now. (laughs) Thinking about. And he had a niece born on my birthday, and her name was Emily Rose. And then like a few years after that, this film came out, and I was like... That's creepy. <laughs> Imagine it, if you had a such baby. such an unusual combination of names. But it's not like just another day when the new big horror film stars your kid's first and middle name. Anyway, that was the film. Um, terror imprinted in my soul to the point that I have to pray every time I walk down my 
fucking corridor. I'm very excited. I want to believe. She continues, I live in a house that I share with my family and some ghosts. Right. Don't judge her. You have to. I'm not even going to read this if you don't stay open. No, 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 no. I'm open. I'm open. Imogen, I believe in you. I feel you're a little bit loony toony, but also I want to believe. Okay. (laughs) They're a benign presence, but get more noisy when we have a young teen in the house. Mm. We have five between 15 and 25. Oh, my God. And last year when the youngest was 14, I was very busy with spookiness. Right. Oh, my God, Imogen. This is crazy shit, and I'm here for it. Yes, it is. My husband did not believe in ghosts Mm. and was dismissive and scathing of my reports of weird things happening and seeing things, always searching for a logical explanation until last year. One night, I woke with a start seeing something right in front of my face. He woke up, too, and said, what's up? I said, oh, nothing. I'm just hallucinating. He said, no, no, what is that? And reached out to the form that I was seeing. It looked like a face, but in an abstract way, like a collection of lights. We both describe it similarly. It then disappeared. We don't feel like we're going to be murdered. Good. It's more things like lights going on and off and smoke alarms sounding in the middle of the night and doors shutting, etc. We tend to say, hi, you okay? Do you know what? I feel like she thinks about ghosts the way I think about public masturbators. You're supposed to like (laughs) confront, like don't, if you have it within you, don't freak out. Go, I see you. You're masturbating. It's public. Similarly, you say to the ghosts, hi, how are you? Can I help you? I I hear these details though. And I'm thinking, the ghost got nothing better to do there in the afterlife. You don't know how it works. You you think that they could, like, make some choice to go hang out in Cinque Terre or something. It just feels implausible to me that they would decide to indulge in the type of behaviour that could easily be written off as smoke detector batteries that need replacing, doors opening and closing as if maybe there's a draft, a through breeze, and how light bulbs do with slightly dodgy wiring in an old Victorian house. I'm on your side, Imogen. I want to believe. My question is, what is happening in the wider culture that has led to this resurgence in belief of ghosts? I don't know how other people feel, but I'm a middle-aged lady, and I just like to believe that maybe it doesn't all have to end. We can love each other into this next life. You won't even have your ashes mixed in with I'll mix my ashes with you. Also this week, uh, Lindsay Hoskins thinks we should watch Dead Ringers, which I'd never heard of. It stars Rachel Weiss. I'm going to give you two words. Twin gynecologists. Okay, I'm in. I'm in. And Ali Gardner thinks we should watch Top Boy, which I am intrigued by, but I feel a bit overfaced. This is our problem by. with Top Boy. It feels like a lot of catching up in quite a brutal environment. Yes. The email address is... Fuck off at firecrouchandnormcore.com. So this week, Nish Kumar liked to watch Jury Duty, which you can find on Amazon Freebie. It's part of Amazon Prime. And Dreaming Whilst Black on BBC iPlayer. Sarah liked to watch The Deepest Breath on Did Netflix. I like to watch? I had complicated feelings about watching The Deepest Breath. I think you should watch it, but shop on Amazon.co.uk while you watch. I like to watch The Orchestra 
which you can find on Studio Canal Presents on ITVX or on Amazon Prime. And we watched The Morning Show on Apple TV+. Plus. We did not like to watch, but we liked to not like to watch. All right, we celebrate our wedding anniversary this week, 10 years. Well, here's what we're going to do. We've decided, we've thought about the day. I, I think a day of somber reflection. <laughs> I thought we should celebrate our love. We're not doing anything big because we went so big on your 50th. What with Morocco? You know what the standard present is? I do not. Tin? Ooh. We've run out of foil. Oh, maybe I'll use tin foil as the wrapping paper for whatever I do buy you. Are you celebrating anything this week? Do you like celebrating things in a week or does it stress you out? I think, Jeff, you like to celebrate. I'm feeling quite stressed about this whole thing. About our anniversary? Okay, we're going to have an off-air chat to just ratchet that anxiety down. Um, We're moving into autumn. Official start of autumn, isn't it? Friday, the 22nd. Is that right? I might be wrong. I hope you're back in the swing of things. I hope you're settling in. I hope you're wearing autumn colors. I would like to hear from someone who actually thinks they look better in the summer. You must have a very hot body if you think you look better in the summer. Do you have a hot body? I'm interested in that as well. But don't send a photo. Just describe it. Yes. Don't send me a photo of your hot body. But do describe your hot body parts. (laughs) See you in official autumn. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Too